You are listening to The Quest for 100, a discussion on everything you never knew you wanted to know. And now your hosts, Justin and Brian. Welcome back. Back to the quest, the quest for 100. As always, I'm your host, Brian, joined with my counterpart and cohort here on the quest, Justin. Hello, hello. How's it going, Justin? You know what? I am pretty great. Yeah? Pretty great? Yeah, yeah pretty uh, good, not great, as they say sometimes. Good, not great. Yeah? Um, but uh, no, I am, I am doing well. I'm, uh, I'm ready, ready for this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, no, I'm going to say it. it's special. It's a special episode. <laughs> uh, we are here. We have a guest episode, which, which, you know, fans will know we do from time to time. So this is extra special, but we are bringing on uh, an expert via phone, which is the first time we've tried this. So yeah. we, we want to hear how, how, how people think about this, but, but on the line is a good friend and listener of the show. His name is Joe. And we are going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing good, Justin and Brian. I'm glad to be on the show. I'm a th- big fan. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we know you've you've been a listener since pretty much day one, so we appreciate that. Yeah. And and we we appreciate you joining us, spending spending an hour out of your week to not only listen to us, but then now join us. So you're gonna have yeah. to spend two hours. I mean, assuming you <laughs> listen to your own episode. Oh, he definitely is going to. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I have to for sure. Yeah, you're gonna critique it like I do every single time I listen to myself <laughs> on the episode. Yeah. Well, sure. uh, so this is obviously you know we appreciate you you, you uh, spending some time with us, Joe, and just a little bit of a backstory. Uh, so I've known Joe since what would you say, Joe? Is it first grade maybe? Uh, yeah, like elementary school. We we've, we've gone to school with each other since elementary school. Yes. And then we became close friends in high school. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, why, Joe, why don't you kick, you know, we've been around, we've known each other, but this is your first time uh, meeting Brian. Give, give a little, you know, quick backstory on who you are, and then why don't you tell us, you know, what, um, a little bit about D&D and, and what we're about okay. to be talking about. Well, well should we, we do our expert? Oh, we, we should do our expert segment, Brian. It seems to me like you're the expert, Mark. <laughs> or Joe, not Mark. Joe. Yeah. Joe. And I know them. I know exactly what that's from too. So I enjoy that <laughs> little bit. I grew up in the same hometown as as Justin. I grew up like the neighborhood over from his. He grew up in the townhouses, and I grew up in the neighborhood in the back. And um, so we went to elementary school together, and and then uh, middle school. And he had kind of like a more like he was more on the sports teams and stuff like that but then in in high school i think we started sitting with each other at like the breakfast table or something like that Mm -hmm. after the buses would drop us all off and we started talking about like video games and stuff and that's how we all started like our little group started getting together and and then we started playing uh playing a lot of guitar hero we had a lot of guitar hero parties in high school and we would play that and then we tried to form a natural band, and then, and then we just we didn't try, Joe. We we did <laughs> form a natural band. Joe, Joe, what was your role on that band? Um, I was a guitarist, and I like to say 
that I was kicked out because I was too rock and roll. Oh. <laughs> Everyone else would say I got kicked out because I was not good. <laughs> that's that's it's debatable. It's, it can be it can be debated for the on, history books. Yeah. So but what yeah. what brings you to the uh, the the Dungeon and Dragons world and and how'd you get into it? I um I had some friends that I met in in Texas and we were talking about like uh, fantasy books that we enjoyed reading and that got them talking about like games and such and they're like have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons before and then these friends said you should you know we've played before and you should try it with us so they're like we're open to newcomers playing and stuff like that and we'll explain the rules and stuff so about a year and a half ago I had these guys help me set up my my first player and I started doing a little campaign with them and that one ran about a year, and then I started a second one with them, and I wound up having to exit that one early for work and school-related reasons. But yeah, so I've been playing for about a year and a half. So this like, is a fairly recent thing, right? But I, like, I, I I fell in in love with it like quickly. Like when we started, like I went in like that became my new trend. Like I was like all into it and and everything. So I'm pretty well-versed in, in the basic mechanics. I would say I, I've played enough to be called a novice. There are definitely people who are more advanced than me, but I can explain it to a beginner, and I've, I've DM'd a, a few sessions before. So, yeah, I, You're our expert, though, because I, because I, I have no idea what's going on. And, yeah. and for me, <laughs> I, I've uh, just a little bit of backstory. So on us, just to kind of give kind of full circle yes so brian you're saying this is your first time experiencing this yeah i have no idea what's going on and so for me i've played i think one one campaign um or one session i guess i I would say with with joe as our our dm or dungeon master as they say but you know you mentioned you know this is kind of a recent thing and i've been friends with the same group of guys since pretty much elementary school you know especially since high school and that we are just goofs and nerds or whatever we, in every way possible. Yeah. So the fact that we didn't try D and D until post college is kind of crazy. Okay, that's what I was thinking yeah. too. I I wasn't gonna stereotype you. Yeah. But <laughs> oh yeah? yeah, I I thought that that's where the like I thought it was a, a since high school type of thing. Yeah. And oh no. Yeah, it really wasn't. I don't know why, because we did. I mean, we hung out all the time. We were just playing rock band or actual band. Or, yeah. You know, sometimes Madden, you know, whatever it was. But uh, but never, I mean, I don't even remember, Joe, would you say that we ever really discussed D&D when we were in high school? or? No, I think yeah. it still had that stigma about it, that it mm-hmm. was like like kind of. For super it nerds. Was a little too, yeah, too nerdy for us at the time. But like after like. You know, in the last few years, it's really started to become more popular, and and like, you know, you get like celebrities who are doing YouTube channels and they're playing, and like Terry Crews is playing it with like Joe Manganiello and and stuff like that. So, and they're playing it in like shows like Community and uh, uh, Stranger Things. Stranger Things, yep. yeah. yeah. So, so I think it's a much more approachable thing now. Like, it's not as taboo. So. I also think it uh, just based off of the years and and as I was doing a little bit of my research, it seemed like the stigma of that 
was earlier, like the, you know, 90s when it was kind of the cool thing to do in high school before it became the quote unquote Mm -hmm. nerdy thing to do. And then it just kind of has escalated since then. And then now we're (laughs) kind of coming back with that, you know, you're talking about the the reinvention or reintroduction of it as as a cool thing to do. So, Joe, what what is D&D for for the novice over here? What exactly <laughs> is well. it? <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons is a paper and pencil role-playing game where well, it started out that way. Now you can um you can either create your own little story or you can download ones off the internet pre-written and you just kind of follow it like a recipe and you can have fun with your friends that way but you get a sheet of paper and you feel like you create your character you come up with a name and and like what their role in the world is and stuff are they going to be like a knight or a mage or are they going to be like an assassin or something like that and you kind of you can depending on how you and the people around you want to play it, it can be as detailed or as vague as possible. I've done some that where they wanted me to write super detailed paths for these characters and motivations and stuff like that. But I've done also ones where it's like, he's a barbarian, he likes to hit things with his axe, and that's about it. That's all the <laughs> motivation he has. Oh, and, he likes, and he likes treasure, and that's about it. So you can really have, it's kind of like, using your imagination when you're playing with action figures and stuff like that. I'm sorry, that's my my dryer going off if you heard a loud buzz. No worries. It's like using your imagination when you're a kid and you're playing with action figures and stuff like that. Like, it's really... I like it because it promotes, like, creativity and you can kind of, like, get inside the head of, like, a friend and see, like, their creativity. And I've done that with some of our friends in, in other forms of games and, like, Minecraft and stuff like that. So it's like it's just a different avenue of expressing creativity, I think. So you've got a dungeon master, from what I understand. Yeah. And you've got some die. Some uh some yeah. Twenty sided die. Can you talk a little bit about those two? Yeah. So the dungeon master is the one who comes up with the story and takes control of all the non non player controlled characters like all the villagers or someone who's going to give you jobs to do and stuff and they kind of advance the story and and make sure everybody's having a good time so they're really they're they're the they're the puppeteer pulling all the strings and making things happen um and with the dice there are seven different kind seven different dice i think everyone has heard of like you know, in TV shows, they say, like, roll a, a D20 and stuff like that. So there's, like, a 20-sided die, mm-hmm. there's a 12-sided die, a 10, an 8-sided die, a 6, a 4, and um, and then there's a 100-sided die, which is just, it's 10-sided, and they put two numbers on it. So it's, like, mm. 10, 20, 30, Whoa. Yeah, like that. Intense. Uh, that one's used more for, like, chance. I've never used that one, but there was a D&D podcast I listened to where there was a bag of beans <laughs> that they had and like if you opened up the bag of beans you rolled the dice and you see what kind of like what the bean would turn into and in that podcast it was pretty funny because the person threw the bag of beans and all the beans spilled out and one of the like assigned numbers was to create a giant pyramid 
So they were inside a building, and then a giant pyramid sprouted in the in the middle of the building and, and ripped it in half. And it was really funny to listen to their reaction as as a pyramid just appeared underneath them and crushed the bottom part of the building and ripped the top part off. That is awesome. It's it's funny. I mean, you were talking about. You know, I would say in my limited plane that the the dungeon master is he's a puppeteer he's so crucial to everything that happens but really the the story is almost kind of unfolding with the players and the players are kind of guiding because you right. the dungeon master doesn't know that that guy's going to throw the bag of beans but then right. that happens and then all chaos ensues and then the dungeon master is then reacting to what would happen and and you know how characters would get harmed or not and right. it's pretty yeah. amazing so with it's with a- with the dungeon okay. master, does the dungeon master have scripted out points to know or to react to? Is it always scripted, or are they making it up as as well? It's it's a fair like you can try and script it out based on how well you know the people you're playing with, but you can never like account for everything. So it's like probably it's also as probably like sixty percent improvisation, forty percent preparing for things. Like, you're a puppeteer, but you're really letting them kind of do whatever they want. And if they don't follow your plan exactly, you just got to kind of let them roll with it. And then you got to kind of think of how, what other thing you could have them do. Like, if I wanted you, if I was trying to get you guys to go to a certain place, and you turned around and you went the other way and went to go do something else, I'd have to be in the back of my head like, oh, now I got to think of something else to have them go do. Because they didn't go where I wanted them to. Got it. I think just another thing I'll say with this because I'm just thinking of an analogy in my head. So the, the dungeon master is almost like the the writer of a movie, and then the actors are then wreaking chaos in it. Like it's it's right. so challenging. I can only imagine what it's like being a dungeon master and having to get about you know the improv aspect of it. I mean, you have mm-hmm. to be quick on your feet, and and you know there's time for you to think for a minute. But like it's mm-hmm. it helps to be you know for the the in the moment and the imagination aspect of it, it helps to be quick on, you know, okay, well that means this and this happens because that you rolled a two mm-hmm. or because you rolled a 19 or whatever. Right. Um, so, so on that front, I was going to say, you know, what, what makes it fun? Like what really makes it fun for you? What's your favorite part about D and D? I like the, the, uh, the creativity of it and the, the improvisation of it like I like to have like I like session I like D&D when it's not so serious I like it when it's goofy like yesterday last night I was playing with some of our friends and the one friend was like I'm gonna be a master of disguise he goes to put on his disguise and he rolls a one which is in D&D terms uh, if you roll the D20 is used for all major actions. Like, if you wanted to look around a room, say, I want to look around the room to see if there's anything I can use, you'd roll the 20, and, like, depending on how high you rolled, you would either see it or you wouldn't. So it's kind of like it's a number set by the DM. And is that, that arbitrary, um, or is that something that they've preset? It's preset. Like, you can look, like, online, typically, and they'll say, like, uh, you know, if someone's looking around the room, they're like, they need to roll a 12 or higher to see 
what's in the room. If they roll under that, they'll say like it's too dark and you can't see anything. Got it. But pretty universally, people consider a one. It's called uh, uh, a critical failure. So you typically will do something like really funny with it. So like uh, the or something silly like for the master disguise who rolled in that one i said that like he ripped his shirt ripped in half when he tried to put it on and his disguise just didn't fit him at all <laughs> and um like and then uh and that 20 would be like you know you did it perfectly perfectly blended it was, like, in the, the best thing that you could have like ever ever done before like uh if you tried to jump up and reach a ledge like you like jump up and you're like you land feet first like you land like you don't even have to grab it with your hands like you jump so high you you already reached the ledge type of thing yeah okay yeah um so one of the things that i loved and you you mentioned this a little bit brian like is some of this predetermined my well i think playing the game just in general with friends is pretty amazing um especially you know if you know the people well and you kind of see this Mm -hmm. other side of them but I had a blast. I don't know if we've talked about this, Joe, but I've had a blast or had a blast creating a character um, so that I sent mm-hmm. over a character sheet uh, that... Oh, was that, that yours? Yeah, so that was my character sheet um, that I made for our uh, one campaign, and my character was, was named Barbastar, um, <laughs> and he was a gnome, and I just love there was it was challenging for sure for someone who it's daunting I would say as well uh, for someone who's never played to kind of create this character um, you know and there's there's stats and there's numbers and all of that but that but the fun part is the backstory for me so I got to challenge myself from a writing perspective of what could be you know what is the backstory why is you know he was a bear but he could change and and he used to be he is a druid so he used to be able to challenge or change into animals but he's forgotten how to do so and so he's kind of stuck in a a bear cub body um, he was born as a cat <laughs> yeah so he's born born as a cat and he's kind of he's now <laughs> stuck in he's now actually stuck in a uh, gnome body but he can change into different animals but yeah yeah so it's a pretty complicated backstory but again i i loved making this thing it just was kind of like writing a uh, a short story uh if you would and and the cool thing is that <laughs> brian's slowly reading i am slowly smiling. reading while self-absorbed <laughs> while self-absorbed and impressed with himself <laughs> <laughs> you really got into this. I did. And and it's cool because, you know, this is something that you bring to the game and that represents your character, but not necessarily everybody. It's up to you what you share with the other characters. So that might be some, you know, I might be a, a closet thief and I'm stealing from other people, but I don't let that be known until someone tries to like or realizes that i'm doing that within the party and so you typically work together with people but in the the campaign i had like i think somebody was stealing from me and i like i was trying to capture that cap or catch (laughs) them but every time i rolled i was like nope didn't know i was like gosh darn it (laughs) because you hear that they're trying to steal from you but your character can't realize that they're actually doing it so you're just skeptical of it so it's just it's it's funny how much the depth it's it's how much you put into it and and to your point joe you can have a character that is just i like to smash or you could have a character that's really in depth that might not you know release all of its traits until you play a couple of sessions or so, longer. so wait you talked you talked about a 
another person stealing from you, like what determines winning or like, you know, you talked about working together, but then somebody's stealing from you. And so is there a winning or a game over or what, what ends everything? So in that case, I had them both roll the D20 dice and whoever rolled higher won. So the other guy rolled higher than Justin. Mm-hmm. And so that meant that like he just like snuck up behind him, stole stuff out of his pocket, and Justin didn't even didn't even notice. Yeah. And, yeah. and but from the overall game perspective, what what impact does that have, or does it have any impact? Is it just like a kind of a one off? I would scenario? say it depends on the scenario. Like in that it's scenario, just a, yeah. In that's just like a silly thing. Yeah, yeah. For, for that one was just like he stole like five coin from me or something. I was like. Well, that's where did it go? Like my character's like, what? I just lost it. Like so, he doesn't really know, um, and so you just move on with the story. Now, I'm sure there's like bigger things, and you wouldn't really come down to a big moment where you stole all of the money from the whole. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I haven't played enough for that. But um, but in that scenario, it was such a minor thing that it was like, gosh darn it, that guy stole from me. Um, I knew that, but my character, I guess, did. There- there's ways to have it be more impactful for a story. Like when I played the first, the first, uh, the first campaign I did, like there was like a, uh, a telescope we needed or something like that. Or, um, no, an eyeglass, it was an eyeglass and we were trying to take it from a pirate. And like, uh, the one guy stole it from the pirate without him noticing but then he started to use it like right next to him, so the pirate got mad and kicked us off the boat. It's like, <laughs> why are you? He literally <laughs> took it from him, and it was like an like an important eyeglass to this pirate. And he took it and he started looking around, and then he's like, "What are you doing? Why did you take my eyeglass?" And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Get off my ship! Don't steal from me!" So, like, there are ramifications if you try and do something like that. It just depends on, like, in the scenario with Justin, that was more our friend, like, messing with each other and seeing if he if he could do it. <laughs> kind of testing your limits a little. Okay, be honest, Joe. Can you actually say these things with a straight face when you're playing? Or are you just yeah. laughing comically? It's, no, you're definitely, you're definitely laughing. Like, <laughs> like, when you, the interactions, like, it wasn't like to be sitting at a table and hear two people talk and the one person say like turn to the other and say like what are you doing why did you take that and to hear them both try and improv a conversation is pretty <laughs> comical <laughs> at the point especially when they're 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 caught off guard typically so they're like wait, uh, wait what <laughs> So overall, as a game as a whole, is there like a winning or is it, it kind of a collective group effort? They're, they're, depending on what the story is, there's a winning. So like, it's, the end game is created by the dungeon master. So like, I played the other day with my friends. Their objective was, we're going to go rob this casino owner and steal a gem from him and then bring it back to the Thieves Guild that we were a part of. So they went in and they stole the gem and they brought it back. And then that was the end. Like they brought it back and they got their reward and that was the end of the of the little session. Okay. And sometimes it's like it's kind of like, you know, you gotta defeat a world ending threat and something like that. So there is an end game. Sure. Always. 
So but it's not always like in front of you. Like sometimes sessions will last months or, or years. Yeah. Well, you we talked about, you know, you were a DM for us um, and you've done a couple campaigns now and um, you've also played in the game. What's it like kind of going from a player to a, a dungeon master? How's that? Uh, it's definitely a challenge switching from player to DM because you went from just kind of being a passive listener and mm-hmm. doing whatever you wanted as long as it kind of applied to that character you created or tagging along with the team and just going on adventures and collecting rewards to I have to think of a cool story that a group of people are going to like that they aren't just going to think is boring and I need to think of a way that to tell a story that I want to tell while also giving them the freedom to to do whatever they want and so that's like it's very challenging especially when you're trying to make it up yourself now like I had said earlier there are ones you can get off the internet that are pre-made you can just follow it and those aren't so bad but like if I personally would rather use something that like I came up with sure or that my friends would think is cool rather than something that someone else wrote yeah um, a little customized so, Right. So it takes a lot more elbow grease to, to think about a story and think about, all right, what are they going to do? If they don't do this, what am I going to have them do? And, and, and try and plan out something that, was, that has a coherent story still. As someone who has never played, what, what do you think I need to know to get me interested to actually come in and, and sit down and play with, uh, with you and your friends and Justin? Um, I think you would need to have at least a mild interest in uh, fantasy in general. Because I think if you're not a fantasy fan at all, you're probably not going to get anything out of it. It's it's a slow game. It's kind of like kind of like a board game of like it can be, you know, a one session campaign can be done in a couple of hours. But if you're doing like a long long campaign. Like, you can meet once a week for months to years, depending on how ambitious the person writing it is. So I would tell you that, like, you know, uh, one, do you enjoy the people that you're going to be playing with? Two, like, depending on what the topic is, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's, like, high fantasy. Like, people make Pokemon and Harry Potter, like, Dungeons and uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. Mm, so it's like depending are you going to be interested in the thing that you're doing and then uh, I would just tell you like you know try and join like if you're doing it with the friends try and do it with a group of people who are going to like embrace newcomers and aren't going to kind of like because it's no fun if you're playing with a bunch of people and they're getting angry at you because you don't know you need to roll for yeah. for different kinds of checks and stuff like that because like because you were trying to steal from somebody and they're like, all right, roll sleight of hand to see if you actually pick his pocket or if you just like stick your hand in his pocket and start like fumbling around and it's very obvious. <laughs> to steal from you. <laughs> like, are you, are you discreet or are you not discreet at all? Like type of thing. Like if a, if a, if you're playing a newbie would want someone who'd be like helpful versus like a more experienced group would just roll their eyes and be annoyed with you so yeah i i think those would be things you'd want to, I, to look for 
As someone who was incredibly intimidated by this when I first started thinking about it and when it was first brought up, uh, it certainly helped that, one, I, I knew the guys well, um, and two, that the person running it, Joe, was a goof himself, so he could be very flexible with teaching us, you know, as we go and what dyes do you use. And, you know, so being flexible, I think, was so important. But but I, I don't know. Like, I, I think for – I would say for someone new, I it – all of that is really helpful, but I think, you know, having an open mind, I mean, you're hearing stories about these other games. Mm-hmm. That's like regular stuff that's happening, Brian. Like, yeah. And, and it's just like, what? Like that just happened. And then yeah. you have to react to it and like, and there's mm-hmm. strategy to it as well. Right. Like there's, how would you oh, react yeah. to this situation? But then in the moment, okay, am I going to attack? Am I going to fade to the back and shoot a bow? Mm-hmm. Am I going to, you know, there's all these different aspects. And so you're constantly challenging yourself of what I would do. What are the, what's the group going to do? What's the enemy going to do? You know, all, and, it, and it's just from a thinking perspective and a strategy perspective, which I think you like that strategy aspect, I would say it, it, it would be fun. So, but uh, I think, you know, Joe, thank you for kind of giving us a little bit of backstory I, I yeah. think, you know, you talked about some of these different game types um, and and different scenarios. So I think it's a good time to jump in the in the news uh, about D and D. You're a newsman. I ever tell you otherwise, punch me in the face. So my news story comes from the Atlantic.com. They interviewed six friends. And it's a group of friends from Huntington Beach, California. And Joe, you actually talked about this, how campaigns can last uh, for years. So they've been Mm -hmm. playing the same two campaigns for over 30 years. So there are six of them. So Dong Cha, Tony Flynn, Ken Godbiles, Dennis Kudchik, Chuck Sanderson, and Greg Squires. So they all now live all over the place. So... Let's see. Uh, Cha lives in Whittier, California. Flynn lives in L.A. Goodbye lives in Germany. Kudchek lives in Placenta, California. Sanderson lives in Oregon. And Squires is also in the L.A. area. And so they did this interview. And basically this running series that they are doing on the Atlantic is about friendship and how friendships are um, you know, maintained and all that kind of stuff. And so that's actually where I thought some of this was coming from from you and and justin because i thought you know maybe you guys had played when you were younger and you know somehow kind of kept things going uh not necessarily with dungeons and dragons but uh and that's how your friendship was was maintained but so they talked about how they got all got into the uh the game really in their formative years when it was very popular so in the 80s and then in the 90s during recess they would go to lunch and you know they would play during lunch and recess the group uh started playing all together when greg got into uh high school because he's the youngest of the group so he was a freshman in high school when they started to play this campaign in i think it started in 1990 or excuse me uh, yeah 1990 so greyhawk campaign which sounds like is the main campaign name that Greyhawk? Yeah. Sure. Sounds like it. Uh, but of the actual overall Dungeons and Dragons, I think Greyhawk was like the first campaign that was made. Oh, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah, so I think that's the original one that that uh, the founders made. 
or mm. that was the original name. They also have one called Racteria, which they started in 91. And Greg is their game master for, or excuse me, D- dungeon master for Greyhawk. And then they, it's interesting they actually rotate for Racteria. Oh. They rotate mm. third. Well, I mean, if you've been playing for 30 years, I feel like you're going to want to mix it up. It's a lot of, I mean, yeah. Joe can speak to this. It's a lot of extra work to be the dungeon master. Yeah. So that guy, yeah, it's good that they rotate. So uh, they talked to Greg Squires, and, and he compares D&D to basically a television series where there are different episodes and different seasons, and they all follow different storylines. So I kind of when I started reading this, I kind of started to understand a little bit more of what's going on. He also explained that there's a lot of different styles of how people play. So there's Mm -hmm. more of the role-playing experiences and play acting as a group, or um, they're more along the lines of the gameplay and the problem solving. So they don't really get into the, like talking like their characters and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, Ken and Chuck, who are the two guys, one in Oregon and one in Germany, they actually Skype into games. Mm-hmm. Unless Chuck Chuck will actually occasionally fly down to the L.A. area to actually participate. Um, but really, D&D is, for them, for over the last almost 30 years, has served as kind of a structural support for their friendship and yeah. kept them together and like mm-hmm. at least kept the conversation going sure. of like, hey, when are we going to play next, you know, just kind of spirals the yeah. entire conversation for those that friendship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about this, Brian, in a in one of our previous episodes. But just how for me, ha- Xbox in a lot of ways is that connector with with friends like Joe and and others, um, you know, and and Facebook Messenger that that just like constant communication when you're because you know Joe is in Texas, I'm in Seattle area, and other friends are in Pennsylvania and florida and virginia and all over the place so to to connect continue to find ways to connect it it, and through something like this is is pretty cool keeps them coming back yeah yeah for sure um so my my news is i actually have two really quick ones so one uh i actually ran and ran into ran into an article found an article and it was stephen colbert and he was playing uh a one-on-one and one D&D campaign um, and he talked a little bit about um, so that he he had a passion growing up he played some of the first versions of D&D and talked about his experiences back in the the when it first started and I'm sure you'll you know mention a little bit of that Brian in the history Um, but it was really cool to kind of watch you know for someone new uh, for me to kind of watch one uh, someone play just two people I've never I didn't know that was a thing but um, just a dungeon master and and a uh, person playing, mm-hmm. um, but then having like a prominent celebrity like Stephen Colbert playing, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so that that was my like quick article. But actually, on my my way to record this episode, I was listening to a podcast and um, so Wizards Wizards of the Coast, uh, which creates or is the creator of Dungeons and Dragons, I believe. Uh, Brian will correct me no. if that's no. Okay. They weren't the creator, but okay. that's okay. There you go. Well, he, well, he'll tell us about Renton the Company, though. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, Wizards of the Coast they uh, are as of recently are putting on a campaign, I guess, a live campaign. And I don't know if you've heard about this, Joe. And I want to look more into no. this. But essentially, they're putting on a live campaign that will have multiple dungeon masters 
in this basically in the same room and they're running their oh, own cool. smaller campaigns within a larger mm. world so mm. what one person does and what uh one little group of uh, our team does might affect the world the greater world and so i think they're going to broadcast it live and i want i'll try to find some more information um on it to share but but it is it, it it's a really cool for someone that knew i'm just like i want to watch this because this is probably you know some of the most creative people coming all together anyway and then to have a, a world that's affected by right. other world you know other scenarios is just wildly complex but really fascinating yeah i'm just i'm thinking about it and i'm just like, I'm like that sounds like a lot of work to me yeah. to do campaigns inside of a campaign yeah but sounds like it'd be fun for sure but i'm just like oh boy that's a lot of that's a lot of uh that's a lot of things to juggle at once well yeah and and i i mean if anybody's gonna do it it's it's wizard of the coast i feel like but um mm-hmm. but just the the fact that um something that complicated can exist and and it's just like real life right like when we right. when when you're in a campaign you're you're like you're dealing with all these things that are right in front of you and you're on this quest or whatever but like you know there's millions of other people in the world that you don't see or do and so they're doing their own quests and doing their own things so it's interesting um i'm curious if they would you know interact specifically with each other or not i don't know it's just the the idea fascinated me so i thought i'd, yeah. I'd bring it up but yeah, I, I think it's uh, we'll, we'll we'll roll into we talked a little history, but let's let's jump into dropping some knowledge. So as normal, I am the history guy, and Justin is the stats guy, and history for something I have absolutely no idea what's going on is very interesting. So I tried to stay to the basics here. So in 1967, Gary Gyax. He founded the International Federation of Wargaming to exchange ideas and amateur game designs. And at this time, there most of the games that were out there, like Risk and I would assume Settlers of Catan was out there at this time as well. But they were about armies and uh, he was looking for a game where he could have a individual person character go through this, this war scenario. And so they had this thing called Gen Con. And at the second Gen Con, uh, Gaiax met Dave Arnson. And those two really connected and started to work together. So Gaiax had created a, a game called Chainmail. I don't know if either of you guys have heard of that. Nope. No. So Anderson took Chainmail and the rules that Gaiax had created and he took players on this adventure of his Blackmore fantasy campaign. And that was kind of the start of things with the Dungeons and Dragons. So th- in 1973, uh, Gaiax and Arnson collaborated and started to write rough drafts for Dungeons and Dragons. And they formed Tactical Studies Rules. Yes, Tactical Studies Rules. Okay, it's a mouthful. Yeah. The uh, the name for Dungeons and Dragons actually came from Gaiax's uh, family. He floated some names by them, and his daughter apparently liked dun- <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons the most. I I love I, when you always talk history, Brian. I love when you figure out like where a name comes from. I, what was it, Pickleball? We were talking yep. about. There was like potentially the name of the dog. Yeah. Like I just I don't know. <laughs> I, it, some some iconic iconic thing yeah. that like, was just 
the guy's daughter was like, cool. <laughs> All right, we're good. Yeah. And by the way, the daughter was two years old. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. Even better. <laughs> yeah. That's really neat. So 1974, D- Dungeons & Dragons was first published. So uh, this is oftentimes referred to as ODD or ODND uh, for or- okay. original, I think. Okay. Uh, so it was pr- published in January. And over the first 11 months, it sold out the 1,000 games that were hand-assembled. So at that time, they were, you know, hand putting all the boxes together and everything, the the game sets. In a little bit of irony, Gary Gaix has been uh, kind of denounced by the media as cre- for creating this so-called satanic game and kind of dark game, right? Okay. Uh, but mm-hmm. he's actually fairly re- religious. He's a member of Jehovah's Witnesses. What? And so, you know, <laughs> often he'll go out and go do the door-to-door thing like Jehovah's Witnesses will do. What? That is... Whoa. Yeah, that is... That's so <laughs> random. Yeah. Uh, in 1977, D&D was divided into the basic and advanced version. So this is kind of addition uh, two. The basic version was edited by J. Eric Holmes, and it becomes the first uh, D&D box set to ship with dice included. I think before that you had to provide your own oh. dice. I didn't really. Well, find I guess it. if you're using unique dice, right? Like it's yeah. They, you know, this is the first game that probably asked for that type of thing. Yeah. Slight uh, revisions continued throughout the years to to the game and and all the campaigns and all that kind of stuff. Um, in 1980, uh, Tactical Studies Rules uh, formed its UK version after. Uh, there's a lot of demand in um, internationally. It uh, it actually came throughout the 1980s. It it actually became pretty common for there to be D and D clubs in high schools and colleges. Mm-hmm. So much like you might see a chess club or whatever club, yeah. DECA, those type of things, you might find in the 80s and 90s, or really in the 80s, you might find some D and D clubs in yearbook photos. In 82, the first video game was released by TSR, and it included a version of the Dungeon board game for Apple IIe computer, or, yeah, Apple II computer, excuse me. 83, French becomes the first foreign language uh, to be adapted, and then since then, we've got almost every language out there. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1985, only 11 years after the the D&D was first published, Gaiax left the company. Um, and I couldn't really find why. I think there was a little bit of a disagreement. But um, so, you know, he kind of got out pretty early. You know, I guess somewhat in the middle of the of the peak of, of you know, the D&D craze. Mm-hmm. We jump forward to 96 and the first digital version of the rules came out. Prior to that, everything was obviously paper. Uh, and then 1997, you talked about Wizards of the Coast. That's when Wizards of the Coast bought uh, TSR and okay. so bought the rights to <clears throat> the game. Sure. So Wizards of the Coast is actually a, yeah. a Renton, Seattle company. So yeah. they're actually yeah, not too far office. from here. Yeah. So they do Magic the Gathering, a, a bunch of other games like that. 
in 2000, the D&D movie was released. Oh. Really? I didn't know there was a movie. Yeah, I think uh, from, from what I understood, it got lost in the Lord of the Rings and uh, Harry Potter fantasy sure. time period. Yeah. Um, and they'd actually been working on it for quite a while because prior to 97, TSR was almost overly controlled the production of the movie and eventually wizard of the coast you know controlled it once they bought the company but um it was not a very good movie it has a 10 percent rating on rotten tomatoes just look that up yeah it looks really bad yeah yeah 2000 we also saw the third edition of D be released uh which we kind of saw the folding of the advanced and basic lines back together um, in a unified game and this was actually the largest revision to date and then in 2008 we had the fourth edition uh, released as an effort to make the game faster more intuitive and have better experiences for everyone and then we're now on the fifth edition uh, in 2014 was when that that fifth edition was was a release so i guess that brings me to my question of what what edition do you guys play on or what or have you played on i guess joe uh i have only played fifth edition but i've also heard that third edition is very good too yeah i i in my studies when i was getting ready for our campaign joe i remember hearing something like the fourth edition was not as good I think they compromised some things for that one, but um, but people really enjoyed the fifth edition and and third edition. I've heard is good too. Um, so it's about that time. We'll run through some stats. So you you talked about you know a thousand copies were were sold in that first year, um, and uh, at that tripled in 1975. So we got up to three thousand, and. According to DungeonVault.com, there is currently an estimated 13.7 million active tabletop D&D players, uh, which, you know, I didn't know what number I expected, but that seems high to me, um, 13 million people playing it. And so, you know, that number continues to grow every year, and especially in the last, you know, handful of years for sure. And I think 9.5 million people are playing that fifth edition so the one that you know joe and i have played so in 2014 the the sales really improved with that release of the the fifth edition so D actually you know it started to kind of spike up and i was looking at some trends um also uh fun story if you ever look up D stats you will not find D&D stats. You will find literally stats from the game um, and how to create a character sheet and everything else. So it's quite challenging to find the right numbers for things. Um, but I was able to find some sales figures. I mean, whatnot. you could just make them up like you made I, up your character. I, I, I could, and you'd, you'd have to go along with it. Um, but, yeah, so – but Wizards of the Coast actually had their, their most profitable year in 2017, so a couple years after – you know the fifth edition was was released and the from from 16 to 17 the sales gro- growth was 44%. So that's a pretty huge spike uh, obviously a, a noticeable difference 
and and the popularity is really growing. I mean, you mentioned you know some of the pop culture things. Joe mentioned it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Community, one of my favorite. Uh, I'm, I love Community's top three show for me. Or top me three too. comedy, yeah. And uh, my probably top three episodes of that show was they had a D and D takeover, and and they're known for these takeover episodes where they'll do a certain theme. Yeah. Um, and they did one for D and D, and it was hilarious when you get the characters just and and you not even the the coolest thing. And Joe, you were talking about this with you're listening to podcasts. I was you know tuning into podcasts as well, and you're telling stories, and we're laughing about like you don't have to even see it. Like you're not you're just imagining this thing happening, and it's hilarious how things go. And that's it's just it's awesome. Yeah. And you know, same thing happened with the D and D episode where you're literally just watching them around the table, and they'll play intense music or they'll you know drop the lights or whatever. But you're not watching them like cross a river. You're not doing. It's yeah. just sitting around a table, and it's hilarious and it's amazing. So I you know I think that pop culture aspect of shows like that, like Stranger Things. You know, even the the Goldbergs pulled in it. Like a lot of Big these Bang shows, Theory. yeah. Big Bang Theory. I've, I, I don't watch, but I've heard that that was in that. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's really cool how it's kind of really spiked in the last couple of years. And and really, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's probably gotten us into it because we see mm-hmm. you know these things happening and we're like, oh, well, should we try it? I, I guess you know it's interesting. So, yeah. Um. So it's pretty cool. But so according to uh, Google Trends. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is the most popular in Canada, followed by United States and then Australia, which I was kind of shocked by. But um, but yeah, apparently Google is telling us that Canada wins on that one. Hmm. So I think, you know, I wanted to keep the stats short because there's so much to this topic. So let's jump into the friendship test. Never played Dungeons and Dragons with girls before. Oh, don't worry, sweetie. No one has. <laughs> that was my big bang theory nice. reference nice <laughs> so joe and justin would you guys yeah. rather be the dungeon master or a player in in uh dungeons and dragons i'd rather be a player what 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 uh, brings would... you that um you know i enjoy kind of like watching the story unfold rather than trying to think it all out um, I get a lot of good ideas but putting them to paper and then making sure that they they go through on onto paper and is a lot harder than than just being a player and, and trying to think like in the moment and uh, I just enjoyed being a player more I thought it was more fun you could kind of like think about things that were going through rather than worrying about Okay, they didn't do what I wanted, so now I gotta think of something else to do. So I enjoyed being a player more. Yeah. Well, uh, you don't get the luxury to change that with our group of friends, Joe. You have to stay our TM. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that I get you guys to play enough that someone will eventually step up, but I'm not it's not looking like it. So so I will say for from my perspective, I I mean I've only done player. I I enjoy the aspect of kind of just seeing it unfold and not necessarily leading it. Um, but, you know, I'm just getting my wheels spinning on this. But uh, honestly, like, I kind of love the idea of world building, and I would be curious to try it. But it's daunting, you know, and, and Joe's kind of scared me a little bit about it. But um, and, and I think I have 
probably too much uh, attention to detail sometimes so you because you have to remove yourself from things but i think at, at, at one point in my life i'd like to run a campaign um, it's it's fun to do at least once okay to get to wet that whistle and see if you can actually do it and don't get me wrong being both are fun for sure yeah like it gives me satisfaction like when i played last night and everybody says i really had a good time it gives you satisfaction but it's also like you know we're at a point in our lives where we're all really busy so it's hard to find time to like if we had like if we had played this in high school i think it would have been different that i would have liked being a dm because then like we all could have sat down and and actually thought it really really out and kind of bounced ideas off each other but but when you got a whole bunch of other things going on on top of of this it's hard to to you know dedicate time to thinking of storylines and and jobs for them to do and so yeah but both are fun i would i would recommend at least trying being a dm once and seeing if you like it i feel like i would fit in with the dm fairly well yeah okay i like to control things yeah that's true yeah so i (laughs) i think i'd be okay head of audio for the quest for 100 yeah not doing a great job of it but Uh, that's but i also like i think you were talking about world building and and enjoying that i think that would be kind of fun yeah uh i i used to love playing the sims and some of those like Mm-hmm. you know roller coaster tycoon and all of those world building type of things where yeah. i could control you know and and figure out what people are actually doing yeah i don't yeah. know if i am witty enough and fast thinking enough that would sure. be my struggle would be I, I think i would be a little bit slow to react if yeah. you know when people and put one, you into such an yeah. situation and, and honestly one of the one of the th- reasons why I, I mean, aside from the the playing with friends and, and trying it out just to, to to really see how I would like it, but I went in from the the thought of this might push my creativity, my flexibility, my improv, all of that stuff. Uh, to me, was something that I wanted to work on in my craft, um, and so I kind of took this as um, something that would would be uh, interesting to try and and see how it does so over time honestly brian i think you would you would get better at being witty in the moment and you know if you were a dm you might start a little rusty and then after you know a couple campaigns you might be actually just fine well after 30 episodes of a podcast i think i've i've gotten a little bit better (laughs) yeah (laughs) it took 30 but we're getting a little bit better yeah (laughs) well um you know we we obviously don't have time to go into every uh class and different type of character that you can create, but I want to know, and I want to, I want to start with you. Wait, how many? How many are there, Joe? Do you, do you know? They're they're double digits. Like they make them like new all the time. Yeah. Like, and they make like subclasses. Like you can be like a battle mage, and and all. There, there's a lot. It's it's as many as you could. It's it's crazy. It's super overwhelming. Yeah, it, it, and that's what one of the things when I first got into it was that as much as I love that character creation, it took me a couple. It took me hours of just like tinkering, learning, figuring out to like start to build that character sheet. And every decision you make, or at least a couple of decisions you make, are really like feel impactful. Like if I'm gonna be like I'm gonna be a gnome. Okay, well, what does that mean for me? Like, what am I? what does that do for my character or, you know, and I'm a, mm-hmm. a druid, you know, which I, I, I like that some of those aspects, but there's so many details to it. So 
you know, we've there's so much of this, but we've slimmed it down for this conversation. Joe has, has done a good job. And I want to know your your thoughts first, Brian. And and Joe can give you a little bit of a backstory on what these three are. Yeah, I'm going to need some help here. Yep. So option one is a fighter. You could be a fighter, a mage, or a rogue. So, Joe, why don't you go into a little bit of detail of what Can, can I just guess what be? they are first? So obviously sure. fighter, I think, is, a, is someone who can fight, right? Yes. Uh, a mage, would that be like a wizard? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have absolutely no idea what the rogue is. Like, so, so a fighter would be like he's he's the brute, he's the bouncer at the door at the bar you're trying to get into. Like, all he does is hit things or shoot things with his bow and arrow. Not real smart, and, I'm guessing. <laughs> not typically. Uh, not not particularly. But he could be if he wanted him to be. But um, because like I put, I had told uh when I cut it down, I told uh Justin that they're kind of like. Aragorn, Gandalf, and Legolas are good from Lord of the Rings are good examples of each of them. Like Aragorn would be a fighter. Ooh, that <laughs> went straight over I my head. I told you that wouldn't land, Joe. <laughs> I, I know. But hopefully it'll it'll land for other people listening. They'll be like, I know what Lord of the Rings is at least. <laughs> I know Gandalf. Well there you yeah. go. Well Gandalf is a mage. Yeah. So what's the um, rogue? Sorry, what's the rogue? The rogue is like an assassin. Oh. Oh, think cool. like or dark in the shadows rogue yeah. oh yeah you know? oh yeah yeah that oh sorry go ahead i'm going rogue then okay for sure yeah 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 mm-hmm. i for for me i was uh i almost always go rogue to start i just there's something cool about that character i think a lot of people there's you know some complexities to to characters that do that but I was really trying with my my character that I just created to to find kind of a balanced approach for for some of these. So he's not he's a little bit of a, more of a mage, I would say, um, than than anything else. But Joe, what 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 are your thoughts? I'm gonna you know, I like me a good old barbarian or a fighter. <laughs> yeah. Give me something to swing at and tell me where to go. So we we would be a pretty balanced crew then. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, we'd have one yep. of each, and which is is another big piece of of a D and D squad. Um, you know, Joe when he was talking to us about you know giving us guidance on character development and, and creation, it was like, okay, it'd be helpful if you guys had one of these, and oh, now you need one of these, and so you know you're not just a. Bu- I mean, I guess you could, but you're not just a bunch of you know brawlers, you know, bouncers that uh, don't have good wits and just keep. <laughs> you know running through so so joe do do you as the dm do you know all of the characters and all of their traits uh before the game starts like the ones that like like justin and the other yeah so justin created his character sheet do you get to see that before it starts or is are you kind of going in blind with his character Um, a little bit i i look at them because everybody's at beginner level so like you know for if you wanted to be a wizard you might be picking your spells and you might pick something that that's not particularly helpful actually it sounds good on paper but then when you actually try and use it it's not helpful or sometimes when you try and do your do your stats and stuff like that like like you added you added them up wrong or something so i i, I give them a little kind of like a, a peer review thing to to help them out so and it gives me an idea of like, I have an idea in my head on what they're going to be fighting against. So if they all looked at me and they said, "We all want to be fighters," I could tell them, 
Mm, that's not such a good idea because I'm going to have a lot of things that are strong against fighters. So I, I would ask, I would say some of you should be something else. So is that typically how it happens, or is that just because Justin's a, a first timer and and you, know, uh, you kind of are guiding them, or or is that something that no, happens at all levels? That that happens at all levels. Yeah, I I I mean, obviously I was a big beginner, but for for someone like a player perspective my perspective was like give the the dungeon master as much information as as he can get yeah and then that way he can, if he can spin a web of stories or or a plot mm-hmm. that you know affects my character in a unique way you know i wouldn't know what it was but then it would hit me um and and you know maybe i'm the only character that can actually save the day or in that situation um, mm-hmm. So I I like arming them with that, um, and I would I would guess that most you know even uh, higher level um, DM um, would want that. Well, I think you got to kind of you got to be aware of like what's going on. Like as a DM, you got to kind of let you got to let them know what's going on backstory wise too, so that way they can come up with a night like a backstory for their character. So there's there's chitter chatter on both sides, like. You don't give them all the de- like. I don't get all the details from Justin mm-hmm. if he as a player, but like he's gonna give me enough where I can I can make a coherent story that'll work, and I will give him details about my story so that he can fill in the blanks, and then we can kind of like then when we start to play, all the specifics and the details start to come in as you move. Yeah. So next question, Joe, uh, are you into the role playing? Or and getting into your character, or are you just straight up a person who goes I, goes and rolls your dice and and says what you gotta say, and then your your turn's done or whatever. I have had characters that I have liked role playing more than others. Like I had a bard I made once named Zoltan, who I got very into playing. He had an Irish accent, and uh, like I was, you have to roll when you do. When you're a bard, you can roll for performance to see how well you play your music. And I kept rolling really low, and I would try and perform. So we just played it off as, like, <laughs> that I was playing an out-of-tune lute, and it sounded really bad. And then, like, a few times we played it off as, that, like, oh, we were not we were just not playing the genre of music that, like, the people liked. So I actually... It was funny, because I said the character is, like, the best bard in the land. So I played him off as, like... He was depressed because nobody liked his music. And <laughs> we were in. He's like, I'm really good, I swear. And everybody's like, uh huh, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> so it's fun that I like the role play. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. For, for me, um, it really pushes me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And I, I you know, I've played that campaign with, with Joe and, and my closest friends, and I can be myself in those scenarios. Yeah. Um, but I have trouble. I, I really want to do it. And I, I, I spent a lot of time into my character development and then created a voice for my character, which immediately was made fun of, um, which is, you know, is what it is. <laughs> Can we get that voice? Uh, I don't, I don't know. You have to do it. You have to do it. <laughs> uh, oh, um, oh, geez. This is really, this is really putting me out of my comfort right now. Where are the viewers? I just barely started. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I'll stop with that. Yeah. But but it was You played all game that way? I tried. And it was hard because 
to play in the character, you know. So the backstory, my guy was a gnome. He's like a hundred and some years old. And he has not really mastered English very well. So he's trying to like, he's pieced it together just like his, you know, his whole history of changing and shape-shifting. Um, so that was kind of the, the thought behind it is that he's never really learned how to talk well. And uh, we never, we hadn't progressed it, but my, my thought was, uh, and for those that are in this campaign, my thought was that as the heat develops and he eventually learns to go back into animals, he will then talk normally in an, when he is an animal because that's his normal, like he was a cat and so he can speak normal and, and uh, actually cool, but he's like a terrible speaker when he's a gnome. So that was my thought process for that character and it is incredibly hard and as you saw with my struggle, it was awful. Um, but it, I, I think that's part of it, too, is just like pushing your comfort zones is kind of f- that fun aspect of it. And it kind of lets you kind of, um, you know, experience. I think Joe was spot on, though. I think it, it, there are going to be certain characters where you can get into it a little bit better than, than others. Like, mm-hmm. I could see having a character that I created that it's like, there's no way I'm going to role play this at all. Sure. It just doesn't work. Whereas there would be other ones that might be closer to my persona and my personality Mm -hmm. that I can work with and, and develop and actually act out a little bit better. So I'd be kind of what Joe was saying with a little bit of both. And, and I honestly, I feel like I bit off more than I can chew. Like there's, I, I really wanted to, to jump in on like having a character accent, and voice and I've never done that with I don't even really do impressions um, but like I just wanted to try it to see if I could but again I think if I was playing my first campaign it probably would have made sense to just have like a normal voice that changes my personality um, and then develop something over time potentially but yeah so we, we talked about role playing and um, you know one of the the greatest things with role playing is and we talked about Stephen Colbert that played um, and actors that are, are, are now playing. What, what celebrity would you most want to play with? I'll ask you, Joe, first for someone who you know, has, has played this game more than Brian and I. Mm-hmm. Who would you want to sit down at the table f- with? Uh, I'd want to play with Jack Black. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Oh, that's a good one. He's, he is like full-on quirky, and he kind of, you know, you talk about uh, people that you know, what do you need to do? You need to be creative, which he has. He can, yep. um, he can write and tell, you know, spin a story. He can also mm-hmm. sing, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you keep kind of checking all the boxes for, uh, that I would have not thought of him, but that is a spectacular, spectacular. Thank, pick. You. Thank you. We're, we're actually, are we going with people who are actually, they could actually be playing it or, and I, I, I don't he know plays. if he plays. I would guess he plays. Yeah. So, he so, plays. so uh, the one of the names that I saw that plays was Vin Diesel. I, I just did a search of who else actually plays, and I'm gonna have to go with Elon Musk. So apparently, oh. when he was growing up in South of South Africa, he played a whole lot with his brother and his friends. So I think that would be fascinating to if he was the dungeon master. I think it would just be a trip of a a campaign to to be under his his you know vision. Yeah, I I don't know I don't know how I would Elon Musk. I don't know if he's like fun to hang out with or not. That's my only question. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
but maybe. I mean, he's and he's super smart, so he could probably spin a story. So I, I would be intrigued. So I have two. He'd probably give me a Tesla too. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think everyone who plays D and D with him gets a Tesla. So, <laughs> so there's a couple people that play that I was would be intrigued to play with. The first person is not somebody that I necessarily want to play, but I want to see them play. I heard that Tim Duncan plays. Yeah, I saw that too. I heard that too. And that yeah. that is wild to me as someone who grew up watching him play, and he seems pretty straight laced. I I can't imagine what he's like at a table, so I'd be curious to see him play. Not necessarily my first pick, but I'm definitely curious to see him. But I would like to play with The Rock because I think oh, he yeah. is uh, he's just a funny guy. He mm-hmm. you know he take you can he can take it seriously too. He can be intimidating. I don't know. Like, there's just like, there's aspect, and he's. I think he's a really, a really good actor. So I think it would be fun to play with him. I, He'd be fun. Yeah. He he would be funny if he was like a gnome or some like small oh, yes. little. Yeah. I don't know what all the characters are, but like some like little pixie fairy type of thing that <laughs> that I don't know whatever the characters might be, but uh, just picturing him as a as a little small like thing and and trying to do the voice that you just did, Justin. Oh jeez. <laughs> He'd probably nail it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh we're we're to the point where we're thinking a little delusionally, so let's do some delusional thinking. This is a role playing game. It takes place entirely in our collective imagination. Ooh. Now that's community. <laughs> yeah. So so we were in this delusional thinking, and we thought, what better way to do a delusional thinking than to have our, our special guest actually DM for us and give Brian and I a scenario. And, and Joe, you can chime in with how you would react as well if you'd like, but, but okay. give, spin a web, and we'll, we'll find a way to react to that. All right. So the two of you walk into a town... It seems fairly deserted, and there's a castle off in the distance, an ominous castle. And as you're walking through town, you see that there's a little man looking out a window, and you knock on the door, and he comes out, and you ask him where where all the uh, where all the citizens of this town, and he says, um, the vampire who lives in the tower has been taking all the people, and he's been uh, murdering them for for food for. Oh, long time now and we can't get him to leave he's too powerful but but we could use some adventurers to help us out and he says to the two of you he says i will i will pay you x amount of gold if you go up there and you and you kill him right now no questions asked no no other facts in the fact that he he murdered all the people of the town Okay. So my question to you is would you go up and and just do the job no questions asked or would you investigate that castle maybe look a little further or even question the vampire lord when you confronted him about what what's going on and try and get more details out of it so let's see what you guys think about that well, I would start by definitely questioning. I need more details. I'm not going to run into a a village killing vampire 
uh, without asking a question about to the vampire. Well, I'm going to ask this guy that just gave us the information. Like, what else does he know about the castle, and how do I, you know, go up? Um, I think I would start with some questioning. That's that's how my mind works. Let's say that he would give you the bare amount of information that would that, that would get you to to go to the castle. Okay. All right. Well, what are you thinking, Brian? Then. Well, I think so. I'm a rogue, and and I'm very stealthy, right? Sure. I think I would I would stealthily uh, investigate the castle, okay. and and okay. find out as much information as I possibly could without confronting or being uh, right. uh, found found out by the uh, the vampire. I I would. Um give i would give you while before you do that i i don't know what my powers are as a mage but i'm going to say that i can give you a spell of silence that gets you extra quiet <laughs> to then go and successfully scout out this 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 castle so, he's so, you... so quiet he's quieter than whatever is quieter than quiet <laughs> it's just nothing yeah i think uh, uh... I I would be entertained to to sit down and and you know sit through a game or two of of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I yeah. think this would be kind of interesting. Yeah. No. I I well I would say like this type of thing is like it's you know it's problem solving whatever. We we haven't even killed this guy Brian though. So you know I think what well, you have to give me a report back on how it was and then. I, we could then react of what our course of action is. Oh, we're still going. I, I want. I want to finish. I want to kill this guy off real quick. I want to kill him off. You want to kill him off right now? Yeah, I want to kill him off right now. And and do I want you to continue to travel with me? Like, uh, well, I, all right. I've put us in this cone of silence. <laughs> we're both in it, and we're we're walking together. We've now we've now come up to the the vampire. So now what what are we doing, Joe? Joe, guide us what what we what we're doing here. Uh, there's a there's a vampire laying in his coffin, just completely unaware. To eyes are closed, doesn't even see this this inconspicuous cone <laughs> of silence. People standing in front of him, talking to one another about what they want, whether they want to murder him or not. Um, so, I when I was in the castle, I saw him crying. Oh, you saw him crying. Yeah. I saw the vampire crying as okay. as he as he devoured the last uh, citizen that that was in the town. Well, okay. other than the old guy, he he's got the old guy, but he doesn't really like the old. I don't think he likes the old guy's okay smell. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't eaten him yet. <laughs> okay, well uh, then I'm going to ask the vampire. I'm going to wake him up. Uh, I'm going to break the cone of silence. We we are now going to wake up the vampire and ask him why he was crying when uh, <laughs> when he was eating people. <laughs> Joe, why was why was he crying? <laughs> um, we'll say we'll say well one he's going to be he's, shocked he's... the fact that two people are poking <laughs> him saying why were you crying? We saw you crying earlier. He's never met before. And <laughs> He's going to spin you a very sad yarn about how, you know, he had been bitten by uh, a vampire a long time ago and, and it turned him into a vampire. So, you know, he needs to feed and it's an insatiable uh, uh, lust for, for blood. So he, he had to take the people from the village. So even though he used to be like a, a villager himself, so that's why he was crying is like uh. it was like people he kind of knew and it was like 
it was either die himself or kill the people, his friends and loved ones. So, uh, but they don't realize they like been so long. They didn't recognize him, even though they're like descendants of his friends and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so we'll say that's why he was crying. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I'm going to take a wooden stick <laughs> and just jab him in the heart for the sake of time. Uh, and, and get your treasure. Hopefully if you get roll the treasure, if you if, roll enough, um, but yeah, I, I I'd like to take a, a, a second and just say because we've just now killed this guy. I am thoroughly impressed with your wittiness, Joe, to that roll with the... this story without <laughs> yeah. any prep. <laughs> to throw you on the spot for us doing all these questions thank and whatnot, you. like that. Honestly, I'm I'm impressed. Uh, well, well done. Uh, yeah, you you, you had you, Brian you. almost crying, <laughs> laughing with this this story. So I. Uh, this is great. This is the perfect delusional thinking for for today. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I, don't... I ended on the fact that it's a tragic end for the vampire lord who was abruptly woken up, gives <laughs> <laughs> his sad story, and then stabs. Like, okay, good. That's all I wanted to know. Yep, that's that's how we end things on the quest yep. for one hundred. We're actually we're questing for for one hundred vampire kills now. Yep. yep. Yeah. It's a new. Oh man. Here we are, Vampire Hunters, the quest for 100. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, well, th- this, well this was fun. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, thank you so much, Joe, for being a part of this. This was a lot of fun um, just having you on and getting your perspective on this. I know I learned a lot. I don't know about you, Brian, but... I did. I did uh, learn a lot. I, I, I want to actually... I want to bring this... I think this would be a cool, like, creative team-building exercise. Yeah for companies or whatever yeah. it might be to, mm-hmm. to sit down and do that one time. Cause yeah. especially for yeah. creative teams, I think that would be really cool to do. Yeah. Obviously, you know, yep. your finance people and some of those like accounting side of very numbers people, maybe, maybe not, but like from a marketing standpoint and a creative yeah. side, it, it, I think it'd be really cool to yeah. kind of create this. Yep. I think once you get over that, that stigma that I think is often tied where it's like just for nerds and it's exclusive to nerds and all that, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know I've started to get around that and, and you kind of, when you experience it and hopefully those who didn't know about D&D and now hopefully you know a little bit more about it, hopefully you're intrigued enough to, to try it or to, to look mm-hmm. into it a little bit more, watch some videos, whatever it is, because I know it, it, there's so much to it. This is just, you know, 0.001% of it and, and you can make it into anything you want it to be. And I think there's just something great about it. So yeah, right. yep, agree. Well, well, again, thank you, Joe, and thank you to the listeners. Yep. Uh, as always, subscribe to us on. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> no problem, and and subscribe to us. I know Joe is. Be like yep, Joe. Subscribe to us on on Apple or Google Podcasts, and follow us on Facebook at Quest for One Hundred Podcasts or on Twitter at the Quest for One Hundred. Until next time on the Quest for One Hundred. Thank you.